I speak to you in the name of one God, creator, redeemer, and sustainer. My six-year-old niece has perfected the art of selective listening. Don't get me wrong, I love my niece. She is extremely bright, super thoughtful, and sweet. But she has reached that age where she has gotten oh so good at tuning out those things she'd rather not hear. Directions from her mother like, Stella, it's time to clean your room now, are often met with crickets. Like she didn't hear a word as Stella continues doing any number of things that don't involve cleaning her room. Or Stella, please don't eat that before dinner. Only elicits silence as she places another piece of popcorn in her mouth. But where Stella really excels at selective listening is when she is asked to apologize to her brother. She'll look at you, then she'll look off into the distance, then she'll look up into the sky, and then she'll start talking about something completely different. Do you want to know what I learned about in school today? She'll add, all the while not apologizing to her brother. The truth is, we probably all are familiar with those times when it's easier to keep quiet, to pretend we don't understand than to run the risk of hearing something or being confronted with something we don't like or we're not ready to deal with. There are two instances in our gospel lesson this morning when the disciples display that kind of silence in response to Jesus. And the first of these instances comes when Jesus tells his disciples that he is going to be betrayed into human hands, he is going to be killed, and in three days he is going to rise again. Jesus' prediction of how things are going to turn out for him didn't quite fit the disciples' expectation of who the Messiah should be. After all, Israel's understanding of the Messiah involved power and might, overthrowing Roman oppression, not suffering and death. And instead of asking for more clarity, we hear the disciples were afraid to ask Jesus what he meant by all of this, preferring instead to act as if he said nothing at all. And the second time we see the disciples keep silent in this lesson is when Jesus calls them out for arguing about who among them was the greatest. And perhaps they were ashamed to answer Jesus, to admit that they had been squabbling over such selfish and trivial things, so they keep quiet. In this gospel story, Jesus teaches his disciples who he is and what it means for their lives. It's a teaching that reshapes and upends the value system of his followers. A teaching that calls the disciples to mirror their lives after the one whom they follow. It's one of those challenging teachings That would be easier to pretend like we didn't hear because mirroring your life after Jesus, I'm sorry to say, is no walk in the park. 
Throughout his ministry, he associates with the last and the least in society. Lepers, demoniacs, tax collectors, notorious sinners, Gentile women, you name it. And because of this, he is condemned as a blasphemer by the authorities and deemed a threat. A threat that had to be eliminated. Jesus so perfectly reflects God's love and grace that it puts him at odds with the ways of the world. Nothing, not even death, not even the worst that humanity can do can keep God from doing what God does. And we see this reflected in the life of Jesus. Loving, forgiving, restoring, giving himself freely to others, even up to the moment of his crucifixion. And it's this sort of life that is often at odds with the wisdom of the world that Jesus calls his followers to. In the midst of their silence, Jesus elaborates on this way of life when he says to his disciples, whoever wants to be first must be last of all and servant of all. And going even further, he takes a small, small child and puts the child in his arms and declares that in welcoming such a child is in fact welcoming him, and not only him, but the one who sent him. And far from being a cute story about how Jesus cuddles children, this action represented a serious challenge to the social norms of the day. Children in the first century Mediterranean world were viewed much differently than how we view children today. Rather than being known for their innocence and joy, children are known for the lack of status and legal rights. They were viewed essentially as non-persons, those without honor or social standing, possessions of the father and the household. In equating welcoming a child to welcoming God, Jesus demonstrates God's radical grace, a grace that assigns worth and importance to every single person. And that's what it means to be great, according to Jesus. In light of hearing this lesson, I think it's worthwhile to ask ourselves, what does Jesus' definition of greatness look like for us in our lives? What would embodying God's radical grace and being servant of all look like for you in your day-to-day -day life? It's probably much easier to just gloss, ahead, gloss over all of this, to pretend like we didn't hear Jesus' teaching on who he is and what it means for the lives of those of us who choose to follow him. But as Jesus teaches repeatedly, his way of love, of compassion, of forgiveness, his way of greatness is also a path that leads to a life of resurrection and a way of love. Amen.